The Onboard Hospitality Podcast, brought to you by Onboard Hospitality Magazine. Hi, I'm Stuart Foster, and I'm the editor of Onboard Hospitality Magazine. And today I've got a special guest all the way from Melbourne, Australia. It's Melissa. Melissa, how are you? And uh, I'm not I wonder bad, if you thanks. can introduce yourself. <laughs> yeah, sure, Stuart. I'm not bad, thanks. It's great to be here. Um, and yeah, so I'm a dietitian and nutritionist um, working um, in the travel industry, I suppose um, we could call it. It's I've got a really strong interest in uh, travel food and travel nutrition and how when we travel, it can affect our health. So I love working with frequent flyers, especially um, on how we can use food and diet to, I suppose, help us feel better when we are when we are traveling and really help meet those health goals. That's great. I mean, one of the things that a lot of people associate with a long journey is eating not necessarily the best things for you while you're underway. So what is it that you recommend uh, people do to feel as best as they possibly can once they get to the goal? Yeah, absolutely, Stuart. And it's a really great, great question. There's there's many things that we can look at and it's really about personalising recommendations for each person. And one of the areas of personalisation is really looking into um, the actual travel itinerary that someone has. And so we've got a, a newer area of nutrition and I say newer, it's been around for you know about 25 years or so, but a newer area of nutrition science that we're learning more about called chrononutrition. So this is looking at the relationship between our diet and the foods that we eat and our circadian rhythms. And so this becomes particularly important for the travel industry and when we jump on a plane and travel around the world because it's what, um, I suppose, makes us feel like we're jet-lagged and gives us jet-lag as such. So if we take a bit of a step back and we um, uh, have a look at what circadian rhythms are, basically circadian rhythms are our day and night cycle, so our waking and sleeping cycle. And so chrononutrition is really looking at, at diet um, and the relationship with that day-night cycle. So you think about when we jump on that plane, and as you mentioned, I'm here in Australia and I travel all the way over to see you, Stuart, in England. I'm crossing multiple time zones. So when I land and it's daytime where you are, potentially it's still nighttime where I am. So my body's thinking, oh, it's nighttime when um, I'm landing and the sun is shining. So my body gets confused. My body clock's there telling me, hang on, Mel, you're supposed to be sleeping and um, you're not supposed to be going out for that, that lunch, that big lunchtime meal because I'm shutting down all your digestive processes. So that's, Stuart, a really interesting point around when we're travelling and um, advising people on, on what to eat is to really think about, you know, when we're supposed to be sleeping or when we're sleeping, sorry, our body's at rest and that includes our digestive system. And so considering food um, is so important. Because if I, if I look at my watch, of course, some people might call that a chronometer. So chrono nutrition has got something to do with time. Is that right? Absolutely. Chrono time. So chronobiology is looking at the science of circadian rhythms. Chrononutrition is just a sub-branch of that. So it is, it's looking at time. How long does it take a human body to recover typically after a journey 
so that it's got into the time zone of where you are yeah and that's a it's a great question and it's a little bit complex because it does depend on many factors but usually it takes a few days there's some suggestion that some people sort of go by the rule that um you know i've, I've read this in in a number of, of um of articles that it, it potentially is you know how how long um you're traveling can mean how long it takes you to recover at the other end but it does depend on things like light so how much sunlight you're exposed to at the other end um, of the journey that can determine how quickly we re-sync our, our circadian rhythms or we sync onto that new time zone. And what people um, are also really interested to hear too is that we've actually got our, one, we've got our master body clock that reacts to, to light and um, it's what um, mainly controls uh, our, our circadian rhythms there. But we've also got what are called peripheral body clocks and they're located all around the body and they um, uh, have other stimuli that they react to. And, and that can be, um, you know, diet, it can be um, other uh, environmental stimuli and things like that. So it's really important that we look at the peripheral system and our master clock working together. And so it's not just light, but it can be other environmental cues like exercise and eating as well. So that all that all comes into play when we're thinking, oh, how long is it going to be till I feel better? Cool. So, I, you know, we're doing this chat a couple of days after I returned from mm -hmm. Los Angeles. It was down for the Apex IFSA Global Expo. I've come back to Britain, it's a 10 hour flight through eight time zones and I am absolutely shattered. So I'm, I'm hoping I'm gonna take away from this conversation a few tips that mean that I can do the right thing. Um, so how can people find out more to unleash the benefits of chrononutrition? Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's a, a, a few um, things to consider here. And so one, we're looking at how we can harness, I suppose, chrononutrition to help um, get our circadian rhythms um, back aligned more quickly. So to help reduce the jet lag uh, at, at, the other, at the other end there. And so we really um, are looking at getting onto that new time zone as quickly as possible. And so aligning our meal times with the new time zone can really assist with that. But there's a bit of a caveat there because we don't want to be going out having like a big, massive lunch. And you think, you know, you're traveling for business or you're meeting up with friends. You might land at the other end and you go out for a big lunch or a big dinner. We don't want to have too much of a large meal or a heavy meal, especially if we've crossed those time zones and our body's thinking it's nighttime. So then we've hit our body with it's just going to sleep with a massive meal. And that can what be um, can um cause a lot of those gastrointestinal problems that we experience when we travel. So not only do we have the environment on the plane, which is really conducive to, um, you know, bloating, abdominal pain, constipation, etc., but we've also got this slowing down of our gut. So when we think about jet lag um, and um, <clears throat> its effects on 
on our um, gut symptoms, we've got one, we've got the motility of our gut slowing down. So that process of food moving from our mouth all the way through our gastro system. So it's slowing down because it's thinking I'm going to sleep. But we've also got our metabolic system at slowing down as well. So our body's, you know, going into sleep mode. So it's not producing as many enzymes for digestion, absorption's not happening the same. And so we've landed on the other end and gone out for a big meal it's just kind of whoa just overloading our gastro system then so that's when we can start you know sometimes um Stuart with your jet lag you sometimes get those feelings of nausea and you sort of I'm really hungry but I'm not I'm feeling sick I'm so bloated it just all makes us feel really crappy at the end so we've got those two sort of a two-prong approach where we can think of diet and jet lag so helping us to resync more quickly but then also using diet to help reduce symptoms where we can of the jet lag itself when you talk about using diet to reduce the symptoms, is that eating specific foods or food types to try and, you know, tell your body, you know, you're okay? Just yeah, it's a, it's a couple of things, Stuart. Great question. It's a couple of things. So one, it could be looking at meal timing and the size of your meals. Um, and so similar to what I was just mentioning about, about not overloading the system, but also helping to resync. But then we can also look at the specific types of foods as well. And that can be, we can generalise the sort of types of food to generally help people, but we can also work right down to a real individual level. So when we're thinking about foods, we really want to be um, avoiding foods that might be contributing to those gastrointestinal symptoms there. So we're just helping to take that load off and also looking at the size of meals when we're on planes as well. So I'd be looking at with, um, with patients, um, looking at the different types of fibres that might be in foods, um, especially if they've got, um, uh, well, they're prone, sorry, to um, IBS, um, so irritable bowel syndrome, so they, they're prone to getting a bit of um, gassy foods. Looking at carbonated beverages, so having to reduce those to help reduce gassiness, um, but also then looking at the carbohydrate and protein fat contents of meals to try and get a good ratio to really assist with, I suppose, that metabolic side of things. Because we know from a lot of research done with shift workers that um, when your circadian rhythms are constantly out of alignment, then your... Um, the way that you metabolize carbohydrates is very different in the evening compared to the day. So there can be increased risks of chronic disease for people um, who might um, be eating a lot of refined carbohydrate and processed foods over a long period of time when they're out of sync. So there's, there's lots, I know there's a lot I've thrown at you there, Stuart, but there's, as you can see, there's many areas of diet we can look at. But the unfortunate thing is, is we don't have one jet lag kind of diet at the moment. There's still so much research that does need to be had here so we can sort of nail down more um, specific and helpful recommendations. But what I really love about this is that we've got a really great baseline starting point to work from, from the research that's been done over the, over the years. And that's what really excites me. Because, of course, I've taken just a recent long haul trip but mm. really the ultra long haul flights are going to mm -hmm. become more and more prevalent in the years ahead. We've got huge flights from, say, Sydney and Melbourne across to various destinations in the yeah, world. Chicago, New York. <laughs> so is this really 
going to be a growth area over the coming years? Yeah, I believe so, Stuart. I believe, especially as, um, well, a couple of things, especially as more research continues, I think there'll be a lot more interest in this space. But that research is actually happening. You know, we've had, um, you know, with Qantas looking at their Project Sunrise, they've been doing research um, with the university here in Australia, trying to look at um, the effects of those ultra long haul flights and taking diet and foods that they serve on board into account into some of that research. So that's going to be really interesting interesting to see. But also research that's come out of Australia, again, in conjunction with Qantas that has been published, is looking at the behaviours of um, current travellers and to see what behaviours they change when they're on board. And interestingly, food was um, captured in those surveys. And when you look at um, what was uh, asked of people, people were asked whether they changed the foods they eat before, during or after the flight. And there was quite a significant proportion of people who did that. There were some that changed to healthier foods as such. Others changed the size of their meals. And so that, I think, is really interesting that the um, passengers or consumers are actually open and doing that now while they're flying. So if we can get more education out there and more research, I think this area is going to grow, especially you think if you can um, nail sorry, that holy grail of being able to say our long ultra long haul flights um, have significantly less jet lag, or you get significantly less jet lagged. Oh, can you imagine, Stuart, how amazing that would be? I'd be on that flight. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I think I could have done without um, even just coming back here because you know we worked, we did sit down, and shortly after takeoff, the evening meal was served. So that was a bigish, heavyish mm. meal. And mm. I understand from Crona Nutrition, one of the things that you should really be doing generally anyway is taking in the vast majority of your calories slightly earlier in the day than late mm. on. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we know, um, especially from the research around shift work, is, is that foods eaten in, say, the afternoon, say, at 3 p.m. are handled by the body differently than foods eaten at, say, 3 a.m., so the effects of, are different, um, especially when it comes to carbohydrates. Our glucose metabolism is not as efficient at nighttime as it is in the daytime. And so that's just one example of exactly as you say, you get on board, you're sitting down, you're not going to be moving much for the next, say, eight hours or <laughs> 14 hours as some of the Australian flights are. Um, and then we have, yeah, big meal potentially we've eaten in the lounge or at the airport beforehand so we might be a bit sneaky and doubling up just because we could be a bit bored so we're eating a lot of food our metabolism is not working as well and we're not burning that off um, as much either because we're not moving uh, as much around so yeah there's lots of things there that um that eating earlier like in the daytime is more beneficial for your body what about liaising with airline caterers mm. and even talking to the airlines about changing what they serve on board? To what extent is that happening between people like yourselves and the companies that you've got down there in Australia? 
Yeah, no, there's certainly conversations and going on and the catering industry is, is aware that there is interest around healthy foods. But I think there is a bit of a dichotomy, isn't there, that while people, um, when, you know, customers, when they're asked about, yeah, yeah, I'd like healthy foods or, um, uh, you know, the different meals, when they get on board, their behaviours change a little bit. They either change their mind um, or they think, oh, I'm on my holiday, I'm going to treat myself. And so it is a bit confusing, I think, for the industry, you know, exactly what do what do people want. But what is, I think, well known is that there certainly is interest and there's definitely more interest, especially from the younger people, around wanting um, meals to suit their own dietary preferences more. So and not just talking special meals, but talking about dietary patterns as such. So that could be, um, you know, a certain diet that they're on. It could be a, um, you know, a, a religious angle or things like that. So it's not just about necessarily allergies. So I think that... Um, uh, this is certainly an area that would be interesting for the caterers uh, of um, airline caterers. And it's not necessarily about having to overhaul menus um, or positioning foods as being healthy, because I think that can sometimes turn passengers off. But really just thinking more about, OK, which flights um, routes are we looking at? Maybe looking at the timing of the meals. If you're in a premium cabin and you're about to serve, you know, five courses, really thinking about when that happens. Um, and then also if, if you are going to be serving large meals, perhaps changing the ingredients up a little bit so that the passenger doesn't notice and you don't, not necessarily labelling it as healthy or something, but it's more just to support their, um, their um, body as they're going through these longer um, flights and across these time zones because I think that's what's most important is really helping to support the customer um, to help feel their best while they're travelling and I think that's a, a, a great idea for, for um, caterers there. It, coincidentally when I flew over to LA a couple of weeks ago I picked up a newspaper and it had a piece about eating the right things to get over jet lag so it was yeah. pretty interesting. It mentioned a few things that pol um, poultry um, was was a mm -hmm. good protein to have. Kiwi fruits um, was a powerhouse for sleep because of its antioxidants and mm -hmm. it contains serotonin. Mm -hmm. um, rice as a carbohydrate would be better than mm -hmm. most because it provides melatonin. Mm -hmm. And bananas because they're a good source of magnesium. It's not Ex, um, it's it, that's not exhaustive from mm. the article that was there, but are those some of the ingredients that you might expect airline caterers to be using a bit more? Yeah, but absolutely, um, Stuart. And so there's foods that um, you're talking about there, and the angle that that article is looking at is looking at foods that may be able to help us fall asleep. So using it more diet more as an acute um, strategy or tool to help us get to sleep. So that's not necessarily helping to sink our, our bodies. Well, it might, I suppose, if you're falling asleep at the right time, but that's more around 
um, when you're looking at um, foods containing the amino acid tryptophan or um, serotonin, they're all precursors to melatonin, making melatonin. So that article is suggesting that eating these foods might be able to help the body produce more melatonin, which we all know helps us to helps us to sleep there. So it's a really, really interesting concept. And again, um, that is a, a concept that's being looked at by airlines in terms of can we help customers get to sleep on the plane more if we serve meals that are high in these sorts of foods to help, I suppose, align them with um, the, the time zones that they're going on. But again, we still need to then take into account the holistic look of what else is happening with the body in terms of the, of the gut motility and, and the metabolism as well. So it's a real good balance and lots to consider. Definitely is. It's an area that I'm going to look out for and read up a bit more about because I think just trying to adapt to eating at the at the right time ahead of going to long haul destinations might be something that's beneficial based on what I've read about this subject. Um, certainly look forward to reading the article that you're going to write for us in the next edition of Onboard Hospitality. Really looking forward to seeing that. I hope our readers will enjoy it too. Uh, is there anything else that you would like to discuss before we say goodbye today? Um, yeah, I think, Stuart, just re-highlighting that point that this is not necessarily, while health is involved, this is not necessarily about, um, you know, labelling or providing just what consumers would see as being healthy dishes, which might turn some people off. And if the onboard hospitality industry is thinking about, oh, you know, well, are we going to be, or the airline, sorry, are we going to be meeting the needs of our customers? It, it doesn't necessarily have to have that angle because, you know, talking to um, a lot of people in the hospitality space, they do say, you know, it is, is it a bit of a, it is, sorry, a bit of a difficult area to, because some people, yeah, they just want those comfort foods. They don't, they see something labelled as healthy and just assume it's not going to taste good. So it's, it's not about that, but it is just looking at the, how we can use diet to really support um, the the journey and the and the um, misalignment of circadian rhythms, and then it's up to the airlines and and the caterers is how they want it to be positioned. So I think there's a really good education piece that can come along from the industry um, to help um, customers and passengers really understand um, what role food can be playing in jet lag itself. So I think that's also an exciting angle to look at: is what education can we help and help tips or give tips to um, passengers for before travel, during travel, and after travel? Fascinating stuff. Really looking forward to finding out more about this. Thank you so much for staying up late at your desk today in Melbourne. That we could have this conversation, we could make this recording for onboard hospitality readers. Thanks very much, Melissa. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Take care and have a great evening. No worries, Stuart. Thanks so much. I've really enjoyed it. The Onboard Hospitality Podcast, brought to you by Onboard Hospitality Magazine.